Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, I am I'm going on the record here today on this beautiful Tuesday, December 27th. Happy Merry Christmas, by the way. Happy Hanukkah to all those that celebrate every other happy Kwanzaa, all the other uh, December holidays that we got going on. Happy all of those holidays. Happy holidays. We got New Year's coming up as well. Happy holidays to you and yours. I'm here to put out a statement on this podcast today, a a uh, more of a accusation, I guess is what you could say. I think we have ourselves right now another Albert Hainsworth type of uh, fraud polling going on in the NFL. Albert Hainsworth uh, is the big one that I can think of right off the top of my head. A Carson Wentz, Matt Flynn, John Gruden type bamboozling going on in the NFL. We'll get to that in a second. I will make my accusation in a little bit when we get into the NFL because there's one glaring person that I think everybody knows. It's not Russell Wilson. It's another one. Russell Wilson, you know, he's at least got the he's at least got the track record, uh, enough of a track record to kind of fix things uh, if he if it's even possible. So it's not Russell Wilson yet. Uh, big yet on that. We'll see in about it. This time next year, we'll see where we're at. Uh, it's not him, but there is another one that I think, given this weekend's performance, I think we can all clearly state and say that he pulled this this person pulled the veil over the eyes of people everywhere in a way that is hard to remember. Uh, and I think it it uh, it made everybody. Ever the team that was built around them maybe uh, elevated their play a lot earlier earlier in their career elevated their play a lot more than maybe we thought and uh, now the veil has pulled he has pulled the veil over uh, numerous teams uh, crimes have been committed on, on numerous teams uh, and uh, we'll get to that person here in a little bit um, but he is a legendary veil puller let's put it that way a bamboozler if you will especially after this past week's performance on Sunday. Uh, most of you will probably know who I'm talking about. It's not Russell Wilson, but we'll get to it in a second. We're going to talk a little bit about that, about the NFL. Obviously we're going to talk some NBA because it was Christmas day. That's more or less the unofficial starting point for the NBA season. In my, in my particular opinion, uh, the rest of the season is kind of taken over by the NFL. Then Christmas day comes and it's like, okay, these are good matchups that I'll watch on Christmas day. Cause I got nothing better going on. It was kind of tough that it got matched up with the NFL as well. NFL, I mean, at least the first game, the, the the Packers and the Dolphins game was at least interesting enough for me to watch that over the other game that was going on. I think it was like Sixers, Knicks, and, you know, I don't think I'm going to watch that over over any, really any NFL game. Uh, but, but, the rest of the NFL slate that uh, on Sunday was not at nearly as good, so I watched more NBA than I did on, uh, than I did NFL on Sunday, which blows my mind. I don't think I'd ever say that in my entire life during the, during an NFL season, but here we are. I watched more basketball on Christmas Day than I did uh, football on an NFL Sunday, even though it was like three games, but still, still more than I thought I'd watch, especially that Sunday night game, I believe was, what was it? The, the Cardinals and the Bucks. Nobody wanted to watch that. That game, that game deserved to be a tie, even though it wasn't, it should have been a tie. No team, no two teams deserve to have a tie on the record more than those two teams. When they had into overtime, I was like, okay, this game should be a tie. Uh, neither, neither one of these teams deserves to win this game. And, uh, but they did bucks did. And uh, here we are. Nonetheless, should have been a tie. Didn't matter anyways. Buccaneers won. Uh, anyways, we'll talk about some NBA, some things that I noticed during the NBA Christmas Day. My my day one opinion, my couch quarterback uh, opinion on the NBA on Christmas Day. But first, we're going to talk about something more important and more dear, near and dear to my heart because it has changed drastically uh, in recent years. Maybe, I, I guess, basically since the playoffs started. Uh, I'm talking 
right now about college football bowl season. Uh, it has been, I've talked about this before on the podcast, probably right around this time last year. I talked about this because it, it needs a drastic overhaul uh, in the way that they do this. Um, and maybe the lack of self-awareness that a lot of these bowl games have uh, with them. And just the overall idea of bowl season, I think, just needs to change. So I come to you today bearing a change that I'd like you all to keep in mind. It's probably never going to happen. I mean, it might happen. I really don't think it's not. I don't, I don't think it's a terrible idea, to be honest with you. I think it's a pretty good idea. Uh, but I think it won't happen because there is a lot of money, obviously, clearly, tied up into bowl games. We had, like, what? I think it's, like, like 40-something bowl games this year or something, not counting the actual college football playoff, if I remember correctly, like 40-something bowl games. We had to put two, five, like two or three five and seven teams into bowl games this year in order to just uh, to have every single bowl game that was scheduled. And uh, it's clearly, clearly, I mean, if you're not aware of this right now, I, I hate to be that person to ruin it for you. It's clearly just an advertising campaign. I mean, that's really what these games are at this point. Put your slap your name on a bowl game, get tons of advertising. People are tuning into the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic because uh, they can watch Tulane and USC game, uh, the Tulane and USC game, which means nothing to either of those teams. Like, let's make it very clear. Neither of those teams give a damn, excuse the language, a damn about the cotton year or the cotton bowl classic like they did, like they like we used to. Because it used to actually mean something. If you win your bowl game, you get a better chance of becoming the uh the national champion according to the writers uh the next week or whatever, however we used to do it, which feels ancient at this point. Uh but now we got playoff games. So these bowl games don't mean anything. It's like you're asking the playoff teams in the NFL that lost the their playoff game to go and play a random game that doesn't mean anything uh, and win a random trophy that doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's kind of what you're asking a lot of these teams to do. The only one that I would argue does still kind of very minusculely, it's it's very quickly going away, to be honest with you, is the Rose Bowl game. That is the one that I think still kind of has the pomp and circumstance around it that a lot of people still pay attention to. It's at the the beautiful Rose Bowl, obviously, in Pasadena. Uh, it's a fun game. More, more often than not, it's a pretty good game to watch as well. Uh, and it's on, you know, New Year's, the celebrated New Year's Day this year, Monday, January 2nd. So not technically New Year's Day, but the celebrated New Year's Day. Uh, and a lot of people still, I think, watch that game with a little bit of uh, recollection into the past of what bowl games used to be. I think uh, when it comes to that game, when it's not actually a playoff game, which they alternate year in and year out, which also is another issue that I have with the bowl games. If it's a playoff game, don't call it a bowl game. The, the CFP semifinal at the Verbo Fiesta Bowl is one of the games named this year. That is a terrible name, a stupid name, and it confuses a lot of people, I think, when it comes to looking at bowl games. Then you have the Ohio State-Georgia matchup. That's also a semifinal game called the CFP semifinal at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. What? That's that's a stupid name. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, just call it the CFP semifinal. It doesn't have to be at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl game. Oh, yes, it does, of course, because Chick-fil-A has to have or the Peach Bowl or whatever has to have their name on it because of advertising. So we won't ever get rid of this, uh, unfortunately, I don't think. But the only way I think we can get rid of it is if nobody ends up watching any of these games. And it feels like less and less people, unless you're a sports better, which I am, but even I won't gamble on a lot of these games just because of uh, the opt-outs that we get, which, you know, I will not blame any of the players for opting out of these games. They literally mean nothing. Other than the win and loss record at the end of the year and the AP final poll at the end of the year, which also literally 
means nothing. There is no reason to play in, in these games. Uh, you're only asking, especially if you have a future on the line in terms of you know possibly getting drafted into the NFL. There's no reason to play in these games. You're just uh, asking yourself to get hurt. Uh, sure, you're playing against better competition sometimes, not all the time, uh, but sometimes you'll play against better competition or competition you haven't faced before. There's a lot of scouts that come here, but we're also in the digital age. The scouts do not need to come to these games. They can watch literally every piece of film from every one of your games earlier this season against all of your competition. They do not need this game to be the one that they come to to watch you play. That's just not the world that we live in anymore, and it and it just it's not the world that uh, it has kind of evolved into becoming with the bowl games. So that's kind of a bad argument to have at this point. I don't think you need these bowl games in order to build film for your uh, NFL draft future or your NFL future or anything like that. I think we have plenty of ways to watch any of the previous games or the games from the previous year or even uh, the bowl game that they possibly played in the year before or something like that. Uh, I just think it's kind of a waste of time, to be honest with you, and that argument doesn't hold any any ground, in my opinion, when it comes to that sort of thing. So I'm coming to you with an alternative. Let's start there. It's an alternative to... Bowl season. I've talked a little bit about the alternative that I'd like to see in past episodes of the podcast. Uh, I think this, like I said, it was right around this time, I think, because it really is getting to the point where I'm like, I don't need to watch any of these anymore, to be honest with you, except for the CFP playoffs uh, or this. Yeah, the CFP playoffs. Um, But the two, the one, obviously the Rose Bowl, that still has the pomp and circumstance. And the other one that I still think it's so far it's so self-aware that I actually kind of appreciate it from the sponsor of the actual bowl game. Most of these are kind of just, yeah, we sponsor it uh, because we just want to have advertisers paying attention to it. That's really all these bowl games are. Uh, but the other, the other one that I really appreciate because they've really leaned entirely into uh, the bowl game and how absurd it kind of is, uh, is the Duke's Mayo Bowl. It's fun. They understand how ridiculous it kind of is that it really is just the way that the NCAA makes money off of these bowls as they just slap advertisers on it and they put it up for bidding essentially. And then they come in Duke's Mayo comes in, takes the, takes the bidding. They'll get two teams that they can play and it's the Duke's Mayo bowl. And it's self-aware to the point where the winning coach of the Duke's Mayo bowl gets mayonnaise dumped on their head from one of like the, the Gatorade containers, you know, they fill it up with Mayo and they pour it on the winning coach's head. That's cool. That's fun. I enjoy that. I'd like to see somebody smothered in mayo uh, at the end of a football game. That's pretty fun. I appreciate Duke's mayo for kind of leaning into it for that sort of thing. I think that's interesting and that's kind of fun. So you know what? That's the only one I'll also pay attention to because I like to see the head coach of NC State or the head coach of Maryland, the two teams that are playing it this year, get smothered in mayonnaise at the end of the victory um, that either one of those coaches has. Nothing says a Friday in December in late December for college football season, like a 2 PM game or a 10 AM game start game. But at the end of the game at about 2 PM getting smothered in mayonnaise. And that's the more or less the thing that you're playing for more than anything, not even the trophy. If you're a player or anything like that, the trophy, most of those guys will probably forget about that trophy, but you know what they won't forget about the time that they smothered their coach in mayonnaise after winning the Duke's Mayo Bowl game. That's what they'll remember more than that trophy. I guarantee it, whoever wins that game. So 
those are the two, the Rose Bowl, the Mayo Bowl. Those are kind of fun. Uh, the Rose Bowl, obviously, it's, it's a time of, uh, it's a game of a forgotten past, if you will, when it comes to bowl games and the Duke's Mayo Bowl. It, it feels like the Duke's Mayo Bowl is kind of the next step if they keep going in this direction of the bowl season. In my opinion, you have the 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 time or the uh, the bowl game, which is a, a look into the past in the Rose in the Rose Bowl, uh, all you know, circumstance, pomp and circumstance, uh, very you know, kind of in your face about it being the Rose Bowl, if that makes sense. Very suit and tie, you know, that sort of thing. Very you know, eclectic. That's what the Rose Bowl kind of in, insinuates, in my opinion. And then you've got the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which is like, hey, we're the party. Like this is the party bowl. We're gonna have fun. We're going to be not in your face. We're going to be super relaxed. Yeah, we know this game means nothing. That's why we're dumping Gatorade bins of mayo onto the head coaches, onto the head coach that wins the game. I appreciate that. And that's why I like the Duke's Mayo Bowl. So those are the two games that I still kind of pay attention to. CFP semifinals, obviously. And then uh, the national championship game also wants to pay attention to clearly. Uh, Okay, so here's. Here's how I would change this if it were me. Uh, and this may, you know, there's a, this is strictly without, you know, any looking at any of the fiscals or anything like that, obviously, any of the financials, no idea how any of this works. I'm just looking at it from a pure entertainment uh, aspect. I think this would make it a lot more interesting, a lot more fun to watch. Bowl season one, well, let's start here. Conference championships, they are in week 14, which is technically week 14, the end of November. So you're talking about, a literal month in between the two games, uh, the conference championships and the two games that are going to actually matter on their schedule. Uh, bowl season runs from the end of uh, the first week in December, if I remember correctly, because they have week 15, which is uh, the Navy, the army Navy game, that sort of thing. That's kind of their week 15. Uh, and every other team gets a break before the, uh, before the bowl season kicks off. Um, so you have a full month of a bunch of college football games that do not matter whatsoever, that are just kind of a bunch of essentially NFL preseason games that they're throwing at you that don't really mean anything to any of your players or any of, I mean, they still kind of matter to the fan base. Like I hope my teams win, my team wins their bowl game, but it also, I I don't, I, I really don't have the intention of watching it that much outside of like maybe the first quarter or something like that. If it ends up being a good game in the fourth quarter, then maybe I'll tune in or something like that. But it's so convoluted in, uh, I don't know who's playing, who's not playing. Is it the best team that's going to be on the field for the opposing team? If not, then what's the point? Why are we playing this game? That's kind of the feeling that we get from these bowl games right now. They're just big NCAA football preseason games that get all the way into the biggest game, the two biggest games of the season. So it's like a weird taste that it leaves in your mouth where you're watching a bunch of games that don't matter whatsoever into the two most important games of the season in all of college football. It's kind of a weird contradiction that they're trying to get to get you to buy into. So what I would propose, uh, we're going to move bowl season, bowl season, not at the end of the year anymore. No more bowl season at the end of the year, move it entirely, move it out of the season, out of the end of the year. Okay. We're going to move it to the beginning of the NCAA season. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? Imagine a full, it doesn't even have to be this long. It doesn't have to be a full month of football. You can maybe cut down on a couple of the balls, but it also they also don't have to be spread out this much either. Because uh, you got games from, you know, a couple weeks ago where Wednesday, Thursday, December, or Wednesday, December 21st, Thursday, December 22nd, those were all days with just one game on, uh, one game during the day on those days. Uh, doesn't have to be that way. You can have a full week, Monday through Saturday, 
obviously not Sunday during September or what have you because of NFL. Don't want to run into those weeks, obviously. But week one in the NF or in uh, college football is technically speaking is August 27th. That is your week zero in college football. That's your Saturday, August 27th. This year had the Nebraska Northwestern game over in Ireland. Uh, Wyoming played Illinois, Florida State. Uh, Florida State was playing against you know a, a FCS school. It, it's week zero. That's what they call it in uh, in uh, in college football. So here's what I say. Here's here's what I say. We do. Uh, there's a bunch of games on weeks or in week zero, which is just a Saturday. It's not necessarily a week, but it's week zero. Saturday, August 27th this year. Here's what I say. You do if you're college football. You move bowl season out of the end of the year. You change it into the beginning of the year. Your week zero is now bowl season. You have Monday through Saturday. So let's say, uh, let's not say the 27th, let's say the Monday after August 27th of this year, which is what I would presume, which is what I would say it should have began on. So uh, August 29th, all the way into Saturday, September 3rd. That is your bowl season. You have bowls from Monday into Saturday, and you can you can put a bowl, a bunch of different bowl games on each and every week, and you can fill out that entire lineup of bowl games, and it could all be built uh, based off of uh, teams' records from the previous season. So you're still not going to have your your uh, four and eight teams coming in as a bowl team and come coming in and playing somebody else. No, it's based on the record from the previous year. A lot like how they do the Premier League in uh, in England for soccer. They have their Champions League, which they base on the record from the previous year, but they play it during the regular season of the next year, if that makes sense. So create make your bowl season during the beginning week zero of the next college football season based on the records from last year of the teams uh, of the teams from last year's record. So instead of a Rose Bowl between USC and Utah at the end of this year, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it really does not USC. USC doesn't play in that. Sorry. Uh, Utah and Penn State uh, at the end of this year, you get a fantastic uh, interconference matchup, non-conference matchup for a bowl game, the Rose Bowl game at the very beginning of the year between Penn State in Utah. How great of a game that would be. That changes the entire perspective of it. You're talking about a fantastic week one win uh, for either of those teams uh, playing against a Big Ten school versus a Pac-12 school in one of the greatest confines uh, in all of college football at the very beginning of the season. That would be fantastic. That would be the best way to do bowl season. Imagine watching the Orange Bowl, a, a game that does not matter at all right now in the current format of the bowl season uh, between Tennessee and Clemson except it's at the beginning of the year. That's a fantastic game at the beginning of the season for next year or, you know, whatever, however you want to put it. For next year, that's a fantastic game for next year at one of the great locations, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, uh, for a bowl game. It's between number six and number seven this year, and it's a fantastic start to the season next year. It doesn't have to, you know, uh, even if it's not these two teams, you're getting the point. Uh, the Sugar Bowl from from this year, moving into next year at the beginning of the season, you have fifth-ranked Alabama versus nine-ranked Kansas State, two teams that would probably never play each other other than in bowl season, but you're changing it to the beginning of the year. Kansas State somehow pulls out a victory in that. They have a victory that leads them all the way through the rest of the year, and they could possibly get into the college football playoff off of a neutral zone game, neutral zone, a neutral site victory, I guess is what you should call it, over Alabama. And vice versa for Alabama. They get a fantastic non-conference win against Kansas State to start the season, and it propels them moving forward. And then that trophy means a lot more than just some trophy that you win at the beginning of a season that's more than likely in Alabama standards a disappointment so 
it, I just think it looks better. It makes it look better and more fun to watch if you're adding actual stakes to these games. Nobody's opting out of the game at the beginning of the season against Kansas State if you're Alabama. Zero people are going to opt out of that game. If it's All-State Sugar Bowl at the end of the season against Kansas State, that means literally nothing, then of course they're going to opt out of it. Why would you play in that game? There's no point. You're only risking injury. But at the beginning of the season, it's a jump start for your chance to win a national championship or to get into the college football player for whatever to start the season. You can start the season 1-0 with a Sugar Bowl victory over Kansas State, and that leads you into whatever your next non-conference game all the way into the end of the season. And then this is how we change the end of the season, in my opinion. Since you've gotten rid of bowl season, you've completely taken out a month of the schedule. Sure, whatever. I don't think we need that extra month in the schedule, to be honest with you. I think it's just kind of a waste of time. Uh, and we're kind of just buying time at this point for the playoff games with a bunch of games that don't matter at this point. So this is how I change that. We've moved bowl season to the beginning of the year, that one week, that week zero, if you will, quote unquote, put all the bowls there. A lot more people would watch it. I guarantee that because it's, you know, the start of the season. You're getting all these fantastic matchups from the previous year uh, against teams that were good again, good the, the the previous season into this season. And you're getting a bunch of good matchups. All these players will play. I guarantee you there will be no opt outs from those games because they're good competition. They're good games against teams you wouldn't normally see either uh, against one another. And um, so nobody would opt out of those games because it's the start of the season instead of the end of the season. So what do you do at the end of the season with the bowl season? gone what do you do with the the month of uh, the month that you've taken out well easy uh in my opinion easy i mean i logistically i don't know how much this makes sense i just it made sense in my head you know so i started writing it down uh i think in my opinion you have your week 15 already so this is after the conference championships or what have you uh your week 15 will be the Nar- the navy army game or the army navy game however you say it uh the army navy game which is week 15 so after the conference championships but i also uh, I, I also say I think this is a good idea. If you're still needing film, uh, if you're a, a senior in college or something like that, a senior at a university that has a lot of uh, better talent, maybe at lower grades than you or something like that, then you have your senior bowls. We already have a couple senior bowls, but they come closer to like, I, I think it's closer to like actual draft season, if I remember correctly, uh, than, you know, toward, uh, during the actual season. Uh, it comes uh, like your senior bowl that you have is usually, I think it's in like, in like April or not, not April because the, the, the NFL drafts in March. So it's like in February or something like that. Uh, in my opinion, I think a good idea, you have your East versus uh, your East, your Central and your West. You break those down and you make senior bowls out of each of those regions. So you have four games during week 15. You start with one of your senior bowls, three of your senior bowls. So it's East seniors, Eastern, you know, Eastern alignment seniors or whatever. It doesn't matter. I mean, you could make a map or whatever, however they would want to do that. I, that's not really up to me, but you could make a map, draw a line across uh, the country and do your West, your central, your East. So your East, it's only send a seniors from teams in the eastern region of the United States, they play each other in a East uh, Senior Bowl. And then your your Central, same thing. Central schools, only seniors from those teams, obviously, play in the Senior Bowl for that game. And then West, same thing. Only players from the schools on the West Coast or whatever in the western side of the United States play in a Senior Game or in a Senior Bowl to get, uh, to get film, play against players maybe they haven't played against yet or something like that, yada, yada, yada. You get the idea. And then you conclude the day with a game that everybody loves to watch, the Army-Navy game, or, you know, start the day with that, what have you, however you want to do it. 
That's what I would do. Then you got, that's your week 15. You got three senior bowl games. You could, you could say goodbye to your seniors or whatever in the central, you know, Oklahoma can say goodbye to their seniors with one senior bowl game where they get enough film to maybe get some scouts eyes or something like that on the NFL draft. And then, uh, and then you have your army Navy game, which is kind of the, uh, the, the chef's kiss to the end of the season, if you will, before we begin playoffs. And then after that, after that week, that's the end of that week. So that's week 15. So December 6th, through December 10th, if you're looking at a calendar right now, that's what this one's was. So your week 14 was November 29th through December 5th. That was conference championship weekend. And then week 15, December 6th through December 10th, that'll be your your senior bowl, uh, your senior bowls, and then uh, and then Army Navy game. And then you get into uh your playoff games. That will be the next weekend, essentially. So December uh the week, so December 17th, if you will. That's the Saturday uh, after the Army Navy game, if you will. Uh, that's when you would begin your college football playoff games. Oh, and another thing that I would say, uh, your seniors that are in the college football playoff, they don't play in the senior bowls, obviously, because they don't want to get hurt or anything like that. But playing on the biggest stage, in the biggest lights, in front of the biggest fans, you know, that sort of thing, in the biggest games of the season, uh, more people will be watching those than any other game this season. So it's kind of a, you know, an equal trade-off, in my opinion. That's what I think they should do. And then you have your uh, your national championship the week after. Guess when? December 24th of this year, so it'd be different, you know, year after year, but Christmas weekend, I think that's perfect. I think that's when you end season, college football right now with the way bowl season is set up is just too much garbage after conference championship weekend, arguably the second most important weekend of the year in college football behind the national championship and, you know, the college football playoffs, obviously, uh, but then you you have your in-between of a month of just football that is wrapped in uh, a bunch of uh, asterisks because nobody knows who's playing, if they're the best teams, or if they're the best players are actually playing, or if they're sitting out because the NFL draft is coming up, and you know these games don't really mean anything. You move bowl season to the beginning of the year, that's not a problem anymore. Every player that is going to play is going that wants to play is going to play in that first game of the season against. You know, Florida will be playing Oregon State in the Las Vegas Bowl to start the season instead of at the end of the season when Florida has like half of their guys sit out and most of them enter the transfer portal or something. Cincinnati take on Louisville uh, during that week in the, in the in the Fenway Bowl. That'll have to be changed a little bit. Probably won't, it wouldn't happen at Fenway, obviously, but you get the idea. That's the point. I think you gr- you're creating more and more intriguing bowl games and more fun to watch in that situation because they're actual important matchups. Everybody wants to start their season 1 and 0 and not 0 and 1. And that's how you begin the season. You play, you begin the season with a non-conference matchup against Florida if you're Oregon State, uh, against BYU if you're SMU, you know, on and on and on and on. And it just goes off of the record from last year so you're not just putting random teams into random bowl games. Your team team success from the previous year dictates where you end up in the bowl game at the beginning of the year the next season. I think it makes sense. I think that's how they do it. They do it in the Premier League in England, and I think it works fantastically that way. Uh, And it's just, it makes these bowl games a lot more important and less of a weird convoluted mess in between the two most important weekends of the college football season. Now, there's a lot more other things. There's a lot of other things that they probably need to be changing uh, about college football as well. I mean, NIL is kind of running amok. Uh, I, I... don't hate it, obviously, but there definitely needs to be some sort of uh, regulation that's going on there. That's a whole other situation. We're just in the middle of a turbulent time when it comes to college football. And I think, Tori, you know, in the end, I think they'll make the right decision. Will it be this? Will it be this outlook? I don't know. Probably not. I, you're asking a whole lot of 
change at the very beginning of the year. Whole lot of games stuffed into one weekend um, or one week, I guess is what I should say. So I don't know, probably not. I But you can't look at bowl season right now if you're somebody that works for the NCAA or anything like that. Some sort of uh, market market analysis person for the NCAA. You can't look at bowl season right now and think this this is a success the way that it's going. There's no no way that you can look at it that way and think that it's success. It's just not going well. Uh, nobody, uh, the biggest players are opting out of the games that don't matter. Uh, and it just, nobody wants to watch a lot of these games anymore because they just don't mean anything. They're just, they're just kind of fodder at this point to get to the college football playoff and the national championship game. That's just how it is right now. So it just needs a big turnover. It just needs a big change. And uh, I hope it happens because, you know, I want bowl season to mean something. I want to be able to say, yeah, my team won the Cheez-It Bowl at the beginning of the season, not at the end of the season when nobody cares, uh, when Florida State has half of their team opting out or when Oklahoma has half of their team opting out. It's just different. It doesn't really matter anymore because, you know, if it's not against the best players, uh, the team's best players, then, I mean, what did you really win? You know what I mean? You, you know, it's like playing a bunch of backups and then saying, yeah, I mean, I, I just dominated the Bulls because I played uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, played the 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 Golden State Warriors as backups. And we won the we won the we won the playoff game because of that. I, that's a bad analogy, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, it's just it's bad. It just it just needs a rework. And I think that's the best way to do it. You just move it to the beginning of the year, have one week zero, if you will, at the beginning of the year where you play bowl games, a bunch of non-conference teams playing one another uh, for um, for bowl games for for trophies um, that will propel them moving forward instead of uh, a, a weird cap towards the end of the season that doesn't really mean anything. That's how you do it. If it were mean, that's what makes the most sense, in my opinion. And I think it would be uh, a lot more fun to watch that way. College football would dominate that week if they did it that way. Can you imagine the week Monday through Saturday of that week? All college football games, all bowl games that uh, against teams that you wouldn't normally see all at the start of the season. That would be so much fun to watch. That'd be so much fun to watch. All, at, for the most part, at neutral site locations. Uh, it just It just makes sense to me that way. It just makes a lot more sense to me that way. That's how you change it to make it more effective for the way the college football is built in today's world. In my opinion, that's how, that's how I would do it. Um, but obviously I don't work for the NCAA, so we'll see if they change it all, change it at all. And they haven't yet. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay. Let's move on here. That was a good 30 minutes on college football bowl season. Thanks for, thanks for listening to me spiel on that. I just hate watching college football bowl season and get fr- getting frustrated by it, I guess, essentially. Um, and so it made me think of a way to fix it. And that's kind of what I came up with after a little bit of research and, and you know, how you'd be able to do all that stuff. So anyways, let's move on. Uh, I, I, I teased it at the beginning of the show. Biggest fraud alert. Uh, Albert Hainsworth alert. Uh, Carson Wentz alert. Fraud alert. That sort of thing. And uh, Carson Wentz, a good hint. Okay. Most of you probably got it by now if you were thinking about it. Uh, Nick Foles. Boy, oh boy. He pulled the rug over all of us. All of us. 2018, that run with the Eagles to win a, uh, a Super Bowl. 2017, I guess not 2018. 20, I guess the, the Super Bowl was in 2018, but it was the 2017 season. Uh, he pulled the rug right over our eyes. Man, there's nobody. That, I, I can't remember a guy that did that more, that just snuck the bag out from multiple teams than Nick Foles. I mean, the guy, he's accomplished it. He's won He's won the professional for the the professional sports landscape. Uh, all he had to do was play 
good. I mean, you know, I, I say it like it's nothing, but he performed very well in the 2017 playoffs and, you know, ended up winning a Super Bowl, obviously with 3-0. Uh, 72% completion percentage during that playoff run. He had six touchdowns, one interception, a 115.7 quarterback rating. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, it's not like he performed uh, the people around him, maybe elevated him a little bit, sure. But, I mean, three straight games in the toughest competition, performed well, to good enough to win a Super Bowl. You know, that's not something that just happens. But, uh, I mean, since then, it's been uh, pretty much a disaster, I would say. Uh, 2017, he went 2-1 in the regular season. Obviously, Carson Wentz got hurt that year. He was looking like, uh, Carson Wentz was looking like a possible MVP up until that point. Then he got hurt, went out for the rest of the season. Nick Foles comes in, throws five touchdowns, two interceptions over the last three games of the season, uh, 56% completion percentage. Nothing that blows your eyes out or anything like that. But that team was good enough that they were, you know, just kept kind of kept rolling. It didn't really matter at that point. Uh, and lo and behold, 2017 playoffs, 3-0, 72% completion percentage, six touchdowns to one interception, a 115.7 passer rating and 12-point yards uh, per twelve point six yards per catch and an average yard an average yard per attempt of nine point nine, which is very good. I uh, like that's that's very high, uh, very high high quarterbacking level, if you will, for Nick Foles during that playoff run. So you know, at that point, we were like, okay, what did the Eagles just find here? What the heck is going on? I mean, they beat the Patriots, the Patriots, the dynasty of all of our lifetimes in the two thousands uh, in the in the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. In Nick Foles. And Nick Foles played very well in that game, too. It's not like they, he just stumbled into that game. I mean, they ran the Philly special. He's got a he's got a he's got again, he's got a damn statue of himself outside the link for what he did in that game uh with the Philly special statue. So it's not like he fell into it. He didn't trip and fall into a Super Bowl. But me, I mean, they, they, uh, let's just keep going here. They decide to keep hold on to him as a backup for Carson Wentz because, you know, uh, you, you don't want to fall into that issue again where you, and you don't have Nick Foles in that situation. And lo and behold, Carson Wentz gets injured again. Nick Foles comes in. He goes four and one during the regular season. The Eagles are like, OK, here we go again. He's just going to do it again. No big deal. Loses in the playoffs that time goes uh, one and one in the playoffs. Um, 60.6 completion percentage, three, three touchdowns to four interceptions, obviously could not recreate that uh, that fire or what have you that uh, that that performance that he had in the playoffs from the previous year, but it didn't matter at that point. It didn't matter because everybody saw in 2017 and they were like, "That could be our franchise quarterback." Every team was licking their chops. Maybe not every team, but a lot of teams were licking their chops, and they were like, "That can be our guy. That's who we need." So what happens? 2019, well, off season of 2018, Philly lets him go. Jacksonville picks up on it. They're like, "Guess what?" You're our quarterback. You're our franchise guy now. You're the dude, okay? You're, we're counting on you at this point. You're our guy. You're going to lead us to the promised land, just like you led Philly to the promised land. Were they built the same? Absolutely not. No. Uh, Philadelphia, that 2017 team was stacked. Both sides of the ball. Jacksonville, not really. Not, not really the same in 2019. Not, uh, not the same build as that 2017 Philly team. But so, regardless, Jacksonville's like, look, look we can do the same thing. We can do what Philly did. So they signed Nick Foles to a four-year, $88 million deal to become the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And does it go well? Does it go as planned? No, it did not. 
It did not go anywhere near as planned. Uh, he gets injured in the very first game of the season against Kansas City. Uh, they find a weird little diamond in the rough, if you will. Jacksonville does a weird little diamond in the rough, if you will, in Gardner Minshew. They kind of ride him for the next eight weeks or so while he, while Nick Foles is kind of coming back. Uh, and they're like, you know what? He'll be back. Just like, just like in the, just like with the Eagles, he'll be back. And when he's back, he's going to perform better than ever. Did that happen? No, no, that's not what happened. That, uh, that is not what happened. Uh, he comes back week 10, uh, loses three games in a row, uh, one to Indianapolis, one to Tennessee, one to Tampa Bay. Didn't play terrible in those games, if you will. He had a couple good games. Uh, he went 33 for 47 against Indianapolis, two touchdowns, one interception, almost 300 yards, 32 for 48 against Tennessee. Zero touchdowns, zero interceptions in that one. And then the uh, the crowning game, the game that kind of finished it, if you will, against Tampa Bay. Went 7-14, one interception. I think he may have gotten hurt in that game. I don't know if he got hurt. I think he may have gotten benched, and Gardner Minshew comes in. Uh, they still lose the game regardless. Uh, and Gardner Minshew, you know, I don't think he was as good as advertised, if you will. He's still a solid backup quarterback. I think, I think at this point, he's better than Nick Foles is. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that was the experiment at the very beginning for Nick Foles becoming the starting quarterback in Jacksonville after, uh, after winning everything in Philadelphia, becoming the ultimate guy, the, the, the Hollywood story, if you will, the backup coming in for the, the MVP candidate and Carson Wentz at the time coming in, doing everything he absolutely needed to winning a Super Bowl ring. And he's arguably uh, a more favored quarterback in terms of likability, probably in Philadelphia than Carson Wentz is, which is probably a little bit unfair. I would say uh, Carson Wentz. I, I mean, that team in 2017 was insane. I mean, that's we can look back on it now, especially with what Carson Wentz has done the past. I mean, just this past week, but in the past few seasons as well. Uh, and I think we can properly say that that Philly team in 2017 Whoa, how I mean, they were stacked. I mean, that team was running, uh, coasting it all on all cylinders. Uh, engines were running, and that's one of the better teams I think we've seen in the past 10, 15 years, maybe, or something like that, top to bottom, I would say. Uh, and you know, they proved it, got all the way to the Super Bowl, beat the Patriots. Like I said, one of the great franchises, uh, dynasties in the history of American sports, uh, beat them there with Tom Brady running at full effectiveness there as well. Uh, so. And Nick Foles, again, he's just kind of pulled the the veil over our eyes. I mean, he did it better than almost anybody. He got that he got that got that money and then just left town. He beat at the end of 2019 after that four year, 88 million dollar deal, four year, 88 million dollar deal. After one season, Jacksonville's like, we don't want this anymore. We don't want to do this anymore. So they move on from him. They ship him to Chicago, Chicago. He plays for two seasons. He only goes two two and five one season. One and oh, the next season where he's a backup for Mitch Trubisky, if I remember correctly. Um, he has a fine career there, I guess. I mean, not that good, but a fine career. He has 11 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 347, uh, or excuse me, not 347, 2,102 total yards. And uh, he went to Indianapolis where we got our most recent endeavor into the Nick Foles experience, if you will. But a couple times this season, but last night was kind of the, this, uh, to me, that was the last night's game against the uh, Chargers or excuse me, not last night, the Sunday night's game, uh, sun, not last, not Sunday night, excuse me, no, Monday night, I'm so confused on what day it is because of Christmas, it really got me bamboozled, okay, we got Monday off, so yeah, Monday night football game against the Chargers, uh, that was the game to me where I think we can wrap up, wash our hands of the Nick Foles experiment, uh, I don't know if he should necessarily be a backup anymore, I don't think he is, 
I just don't think he's that good anymore. Uh, I think we, we saw the absolute peak in 2017 of what Nick Foles could, could be. And I think from then on, it's been a lot of the curtail writing, in my opinion, ever since then. Last night, 17 for 29, 143 yards, three interceptions, set, sacked seven times for 39 yards. He had a 31.9 quarterback rating. Truly not a good game from Nick Foles. Granted, Indianapolis, not a good team. Four and 10 and one on the season as well. Uh, not a great team to be starting in quarterback either. They didn't have Jonathan Taylor either playing in this game. Uh, so, you know, you could take that with a grain of salt, if you will. But th- this was the game where I saw Nick Foles playing and I was like, this is woof. This is bad. Uh, this is bad. How how th- th- this is when it really came full circle for me on that Philadelphia Eagles team. where I was like, wow, that team was really good uh, because we just saw what Nick Foles was doing in that game. And there were a lot of bad passes from Nick Foles in that game, including the three interceptions. And, um, you know, that, that, that was my, that's my fraud of the week. If you will, that was the, I mean, he bamboozled Jacksonville so much into a four year, one year into a four year, $88 million contact a contract. Jacksonville was just like, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and you don't see that very often in, uh, in the NFL. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's wild. I, it just it got me into a piece, a little bit of reflection, obviously, uh, looking back at the Nick Foles performance in that Super Bowl and that Eagles team from 2017. Uh, it just blows my mind looking at that team now. Um, anyways, that was kind of the big uh, the big game, if you will, the big uh, performance, a lack of performance, if you will, that got my attention more than anything because I was like, man, how he has fallen so far from what we saw in 2017, 2018. Uh, that I was, I was, my, my mouth was left ajar, if you will. I thought, I thought at the very least he'd be able to compete against that Chargers team. I thought maybe I don't, you know, I don't think he's better than Matt Ryan or anything like that. I don't know. Ellinger, I have no idea. Um, but I thought maybe this guy could maybe provide some sort of spark like he did in 2017 or something like that. And, uh, I was wrong. I was very clearly wrong. And I think a lot of people were wrong as well. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Ladies and gentlemen, we do have to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, That is Nathaniel Hackett. He was let go by the Denver Broncos on Monday, early Tuesday morning, something like that, if I remember correctly. Regardless, he is gone. Head coach for the Broncos for less than one season. I think he's one of two coaches, the other one being Urban Meyer, which, you know, not a great list to be on, uh, to be let go before one season has even been completed. Uh... I don't know where they go from here. I think personally, if you're searching for um, a new head coach, I think it is, if you're the Broncos, it's important to know as the GM telling them, telling them, telling the the possible candidates or what have you, something like that. uh, I think it's important that they state that your success is not based on the success of Russell Wilson. That's kind of what it was wrapped up with in Nathaniel Hackett. I also think Nathaniel Hackett was given a tough situation. I don't think he did very good regardless uh, of however you look at it. I don't think he was a good hire for, I mean, he, he was, I won't say he was a bad hire, but uh, I, I mean, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. but I will say that I think looking back on it now, it seemed like the Nathaniel Hackett hire was more of a push for the Broncos to try to lure Aaron Rodgers away to get Aaron Rodgers from Green Bay to come to Denver. That's what it felt like. And then when they didn't get Aaron Rodgers, it felt like they were also kind of just stuck with Nathaniel Hackett at that point. I don't know if they really wanted him other than uh, to lure Aaron Rodgers away from Green Bay because, as you know, Nathaniel Hackett, he was the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers uh, with Aaron Rodgers for the last few seasons. And um, that felt like the tactical 
the tactical signing, the tactical signing for the Broncos in order to get Aaron Rodgers. That's what it felt like that plan was. And then, you know, it kind of backfired in them uh, in their face. I don't think anybody could have even with uh, Nathaniel Hackett not getting Aaron Rodgers, still getting Russell Wilson. I don't think anybody, anybody expected the season that they've had so far. A terrible, truly disappointing season and a complete misstep like that can, you know, lead to a lot of uh, other issues, I think. Uh, in the in the rest of the front office, if you miss something like that that poorly and in that big of a situation with the quarterback that you have, the the supposed franchise quarterback that you have in Russell Wilson, that can lead to a lot of other issues in the front office. So this don't this next head coaching hire, they have to nail. Uh, they have to have to have to nail, or everybody in that front office is in trouble of getting let go, and then they're still stuck with uh, Russell Wilson because there's no way he is uh, unless they trade him, which I can't imagine a team is taking on that contract. Uh, and even then, uh, you know, they're still stuck with a lot of the dead cap uh, from that Russell Wilson contract. So they have to figure out somebody that's going to get the best out of Russell Wilson in this scenario. Um, and I think right now the odds on favorite is someone I think would be the perfect coach hiring for uh, for the Denver Broncos in this situation. And he's the odds-on favorite right now as of today, uh, Tuesday, December 22nd, or 2nd, excuse me, 27th, uh, and that is Sean Payton. He's plus 400 to be the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. Sean Payton, in my opinion, the perfect hiring for the Denver Broncos. He would be the perfect hiring for this team, for Russell Wilson. Uh, he coached a smaller quarterback, maybe not as mobile or anything like that, uh, in New Orleans with Drew Brees, similar build, uh, not necessarily similar similar style of plays, but Russell Wilson, given the way that he has played recently, he maybe doesn't have the mobility that he did before that made him so uh, so tough to guard. So maybe Sean Payton can kind of uh, mold him into a Drew Brees 2.0. Russell Wilson maybe doesn't have the accuracy that Drew Brees had uh, when he when Sean Payton came into New Orleans, but similar builds. Similar uh, similar ways of playing if Sean Payton can kind of mold Russell Wilson into that, and that would be a fantastic hiring, in my opinion. I think they have the weapons for Sean Payton to create that offense that he had in New Orleans, uh, in New Orleans around the, this Denver Broncos team. Offensive line, still a little bit of a question mark, sure, but they have the weapons on the outside. Uh, Javante Williams, when he comes back, solid run game as well obviously an amazing running back he will be perfect for that team as well but with jerry judy uh jerry judy uh Cortland sutton once he gets back into playing like his normal self uh and then um and then their tight end who his name is escaping me all of a sudden that they kind of just found uh out of nowhere um greg dulicic uh he should be a good tight end for them as well in the future if sean payton is uh the guy that they get if not the other odds on favorite dan quinn great defensive head coach he was the head coach for that falcons team that went to the super bowl with uh matt ryan played uh, uh, uh tom brady in that one obviously everybody knows the ending of that one that's probably not a terrible hire either but i think if you're the denver broncos Sean Payton or nothing at this point. If you're the Denver Broncos, I think that is the guy to get for this job. Uh, if you're the Denver Broncos, so we'll see what happens. Um, if you're Sean Payton as well, I mean, he kind of retired from head coaching a little bit, quote unquote, retired from head coaching because the stint with him and Drew Brees was coming to an end in new Orleans. Um, and that was a similar situation with, it feels like Russell Wilson could be on hand where Sean Payton might just be done by the time Russell Wilson is out of Denver that sort of thing. But I mean, if you're getting eight, seven now strong years out of Russell Wilson and your Sean Payton, I think Broncos fans would be very happy with that. Um, based on what they got in new Orleans, I don't think anybody would be very disappointed in that. And, you know, uh, Russell Wilson is 
probably a little bit it's to me still. I mean, granted, he has not played well this year at all. A period. No ifs, ands, or buts are about it. Definitely not been good. Um, but I think what you've seen in Seattle, what you saw in Seattle before he came to Denver, that version of Russell Wilson is better than the tail end of what we saw from from Drew Brees, in my opinion, if that makes sense. Um, we'll see if Sean Payton can get that out of Russell Wilson. Uh, if anybody can get that out of Russell Wilson anymore, we'll see. Um, but I, part of me still has to be, I mean, it can't all fall apart like that in just one, one and a half, two years. I mean, it's just, there's no way. I, it just cannot happen the way. I cannot believe uh, that it happens that way. But we'll see. Feels like to me, though, for the Denver Broncos, it, it is it is Sean Payton or bust for the Denver Broncos when it comes to head coaching hires. So we'll see what they do. Rest of the NFL, we got uh, playoff scenarios. They're coming up. In it. It's it's nearly playoff season. Uh, we're going to have to start looking at playoff scenarios. We're going to look at them right now. So let's take a look at the AFC. Uh, right now, AFC, we have six. I believe they're in one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, six clinched as of right now. The Chargers clinched last night with a win against the Colts. They clinched a playoff spot. So we have... Two more playoff berths available. The Jaguars have, speaking of the Jaguars, they've surged up uh, with an ability to clinch. They, they kind of control their own destiny. They do control their own destiny uh, when it comes to the playoffs coming up for the rest of these two weeks. They were currently sit at the four seed, if you will, because they're seven and eight uh, in between the Bengals and the Ravens right now because they are also leading the uh, AFC South. So they're seven and eight, not based on record, but they're, since they're leading the AFC South, they would be the four seed in the AFC playoffs. So right now it's the uh, one seed right now would be the Bills, the two seed, the Chiefs, the three seed, the Bengals, uh, the four seed, if we're to end the day, the Jaguars, uh, they'd be the four seed, the five seed, be the Ravens, the six seed, the Chargers, the seven seed, the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins. Boy, oh boy, I thought at the beginning of the year this team would be, that team would be one that would maybe surprise a lot of people in the AFC. They had a rough December, um, surprised them as in being, you know, one of the top three seeds based on how that offense was looking and how, how well that offense was clicking. I thought possibly they'd be one of the teams to compete in the AFC. Uh, but they have not looked at these past few weeks Tua has struggled. He struggled against the green Bay Packers and the Packers were able to the Packers from out of nowhere, look like they could possibly uh, find themselves in the playoff scenario as well. Uh, but neither the Jaguars nor the Dolphins have clinched in the AFC and looking at it right now, we can, there are a couple clinching scenarios that we can look at here. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, they play at new England on Sunday. And then in week 18, they play against the New York jets and they'll clinch a playoff berth with a win plus a New York jet loss or tie, or they can tie, uh, and plus a New York jet loss plus a Pittsburgh loss or a tie as well. That's how they would clinch for Jacksonville. They cannot clinch this weekend, so they'd have to come into week 18 for them to clinch. They more than likely, based on what I'm looking at here, I'm pretty sure they have to win the AFC South in order to get in. If I'm looking at this correctly, uh, they might be able to sneak in, actually. I don't know. It's hard It's hard to read this. I mean, this is difficult to read. But since they're leading the AFC South, if they win the AFC South, obviously they will get in. And it looks like all, all signs are kind of pointing towards them winning the AFC South other than maybe the Titans, but the Titans lost to the Texans last week. That's a bad loss for the Titans. And um, if the if the Jaguars are able to hold on, then they won the AFC South, obviously. So a couple other teams that are on the bubble right now. They have three, four teams that are seven and eight outside of the AFC playoffs right now in uh, in uh, the NFL. Patriots, they're seven and eight. Jets, seven and eight, obviously. Titans, seven and eight as well. And then the Steelers are seven and eight as well. And the Raiders, they're the 12th team here also on the bubble. They're six and nine, third in the AFC West as well. So, Couple still teams still hanging around 
in the AFC, switching over to the NFC. Eagles, obviously one seed. Vikings, two seed. 49ers, three seed. The Cowboys, the five seed right now. The four seed, if the season were to end today, uh, the Buccaneers of all teams. The Buccaneers would be the four seed in the NFC. They're seven and eight. I say that with a kind of a, I mean, actually, I was going to apologize, but I'm not going to apologize. The Buccaneers have not looked good all season long. They've gotten a couple of uh, decent wins under the belt. They've gotten a couple of garbage wins under their belt, garbage losses as well. And that's just a, but then again, it's like Tom Brady. I'm scared. I don't play Tom Brady in the playoffs. Anybody that wants to play Tom Brady in the playoffs in this, uh, in the, in the current state of things that we know, uh, they're crazy. There's no way I'd want to play Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in the playoffs, but you know, whatever. Anyways, four seed is the Buccaneers. Five seed is the Dallas Cowboys. Six seed would be the Giants, and the seven seed would be the Washington Commanders. So, uh, a couple playoff clinching scenarios that can happen this weekend, coming this upcoming weekend in Week 17. The Giants they can clinch a spot. So the the Buccaneers, the Giants, and the Washington Commanders are still not clinched. Whereas the Eagles, the Vikings, the 49ers, and the Cowboys have all clinched a playoff spot. Uh, the other three have not yet. And so here are your clinching scenarios uh, for Week 17. The Giants, they play Indianapolis on Sunday and then at Philadelphia. The Giants can win. They can clinch in a couple ways. So they can win, automatic clinch. They clinch if they win, or if they don't win, they can tie with a Seattle loss or a tie or a Washington loss or a tie. They're in, or the New York Gi- with a Giants tie, Seattle loss or a tie, Detroit loss or a tie, or Giants, lo- or Giants tie, Washington loss or a tie, Detroit loss or a tie, plus Green Bay loss or a tie, or Seattle loss plus Washington loss, or Seattle loss plus Detroit loss plus Green Bay loss or tie, plus, or, or excuse me, or Washington loss and a Detroit loss and a Green Bay loss. Needless to say, very confusing, a lot of words there. All the Giants need to do is win. They win, they're in. Uh, if they lose, then yeah, it gets a little bit more difficult, obviously. They have a need a couple other teams to lose as well. Uh, but if they win, they're in. They're playing Indianapolis. That should be a win for the Giants. I would imagine that would be a win for the Giants, especially what we just saw from Indianapolis against LA, against the Chargers. Then, uh, you know, if the Giants are losing that game, they probably they maybe don't deserve to be in. So the Giants should win. They're in. Uh, they're into the playoffs. If not, then they got week 18 against Philadelphia. That's little bit tougher that's a little bit tougher so they'll be looking to punch their ticket this weekend and not obviously next weekend eagles they can clinch uh the title the nfc east division title with a a win this weekend this upcoming weekend against new orleans on sunday week 18 obviously they play at giants as well but this weekend they can clinch the nfc east division title with a win or a tie or a dallas loss or tie as well they can clinch home field advantage and nfc's lone first round by this weekend as well with a win or a Philadelphia tie plus a Minnesota loss or tie or a Dallas loss or tie plus a Minnesota loss plus a uh, San Francisco loss or tie as well. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they can get in this week. They can clinch the NFC South title, the South Division title uh, this weekend against Carolina with just a win. Obviously, they clinch that title. They're in regardless. Uh, that's the only scenario they have this weekend. If they win this weekend, then they're in. They clinch the NFC South, and they're into the playoffs. And then Washington, finally, Washington, Week 17, they play against Cleveland at home on Sunday. And then Week 18 versus Dallas, they can clinch this weekend on Sunday against Cleveland. With uh, They would clinch a playoff berth with a win, plus a Seattle loss, plus a Detroit loss, plus a Green Bay loss or tie. So a lot of things need to go Washington's direction in order for them to get in this weekend. But if they win, they'll have obviously a lot better chances next weekend in week 18 against Dallas. That's a lot harder competition, obviously, as well. Uh, maybe a little bit easier if Dallas Dallas ends up clinching or moving. I mean, I 
Again, I don't think Dallas will be letting us off the brakes anytime soon because they did just get that big win over uh, Philadelphia this past weekend, and uh, the Cowboys could be shooting for that one seed for the division title as well. Um, with Jalen Hurts out for the Eagles, that's entirely a possibility for the Cowboys. So it's not like they're going to be letting off the gas anytime soon. Now, if the Eagles win this weekend, they win the the, the one seed. If they win that division title this upcoming weekend, then maybe the Cowboys let off the break, the gas a little bit for, and then Washington can beat Dallas in week 18 because they're maybe not starting everybody or something like that. That could possibly happen. I really need Washington to get to nine wins. Okay. Can you tell? I really, that tie is killing me right now. Okay. They're seven, seven and one. That tie is killing me. I had them over eight wins at the start of the season on my futures. And I would love, I mean, a push. I, I actually, I don't think I would even get a push at this point. I, if I remember correctly, eight wins. They hit eight wins. I don't know what that gets me. If I get my money back, sure, that's great. If I lose, then I'm pissed because we got a tie. I think they tied against the Giants or something like that. I don't even remember, but they tied against the Giants. We'll say that, and that would be an all-time tie for me. That would be peak, peak, peak sports betting for James Timberlake uh, when it comes to, to Washington Commanders. I had them over eight wins. Please, Washington. Go on a little run here. They play, they play, uh, they play, who did I just say? They play Cleveland. Is that right? They play Cleveland in week 17 and week 18 against Dallas. So it's not impossible. It's not entirely impossible. Sure. Why not? Washington, go on a little run, get nine, get a niner. Uh, I'm, my only hope here, in my opinion, honestly, is if Dallas does sit, end up sitting people. That would be, that would be fantastic. Dallas, you know, if, if the, if the Eagles win this weekend, just don't play anybody in week 18. Who cares? Doesn't matter anymore. Just sit them. Who cares? Please. I'm begging you. Please. Please. I'm begging you. Okay, let's look at the bubble. The bubble. Uh, those are the teams that can clinch this weekend on the bubble in the NFC. The Seahawks, they're seven and eight, second in the NFC West. Lions are seven and eight. They're nine here. Uh, the Packers, like I said, they've come out of freaking nowhere. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're seven and eight. They can sneak into the playoffs as well. The Panthers also. Panthers somehow still hanging around. Six and nine. They're second in the NFC South as well. And the Saints, they're six and nine as well, third in the NFC South. So they're hanging around as well. Slim chances for a lot of those teams, Panthers, Saints included. Slim chances, but still in the bubble. Still in the bubble. They're not eliminated, if you will. So who knows? Who knows what we'll see? Who knows who we'll see in the playoffs? But that's your playoff scenarios coming up for this next weekend. Uh, yeah, football, man. It's coming to a close. We're slowly getting into playoff season. I hope all your fantasy teams played well. I hope you guys got some chippers or going into the into the into the fantasy football championships. My team did not, unfortunately. Uh, I think I lost in the quarterfinal, uh, and then in my other league, I lost in the semifinal. So no championship appearances here for my teams, either of my teams, which is very unfortunate. But football, nonetheless, playoffs, real football playoffs is coming up, and that makes everybody happy. And the Vikings. I mean, they, they're 11 and NFL record, 11 and 0 in one score games. They want to give every fan that they have a heart attack in, during every single game. That just seems like what they like to do. Uh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It makes me sad on the inside because I'm like, I love to just win comfortably. You know, that would be a great feeling. We've, there were, we've only had one win that I keep saying we, it's not we, the Vikings only have one win where it wasn't a one score game. That makes me throw up a little bit. That gives me, that gives me heartburn. I don't like that. Vikings, just win comfortably, please, as we get closer to the playoffs. Just win something comfortably, and I'll feel a lot happier about myself. I'll feel a lot happier about the team. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about that AFC playoff picture, shall we? That was, uh, and the NFC. Let's talk about both. I, I really don't, the, the, the AFC feels like we got a little bit 
of our top three, maybe a little flushed out. I'm both in record and in uh, probably in where I could see them at the end of the year. I think the Dolphins still could surprise some people in the playoffs, but it feels like as we get later in the season, they're maybe getting figured out a little bit more. Uh, The Jaguars, they're hot. I mean, yeah, you can't debate that. Obviously, they're they're hot going into uh, the end of the season, so that's something to deal with the Chargers as well. But I think the top three teams are kind of flushed out: the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals. I think those are your top three in the AFC. If it were me right now, if I were to put money on anybody, I think honestly it would probably be the Bengals. They look fantastic. They've looked good the last few weeks. They struggled at the beginning of the season. Jamar Chase went down about halfway through the year, and I thought, oh boy, here we go. The Bengals are the wheels are going to come off. They didn't. They played very good without Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is now back, and they're playing better without better with him. Obviously, P. Ryan's looked really good as the backup running back for Mixon. So if Mixon ends up going down or something like that, it feels like they kind of have a a stopgap there at the running back position. They've played a lot better as the season has gone on, whereas the Bills and the Chiefs, they've looked, looks like their best football has kind of been behind them in the last few weeks, whereas the Bengals are only getting better. Uh, The Ravens also, it's hard to really pick and choose where the Ravens are at, to be honest with you, because they haven't had Lamar Jackson. They've had Tyler Huntley out there. He hasn't looked all that great, uh, but they're still sticking around. So, you know, the Ravens could be a wild card as well, but it feels like those top three teams, the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bengals are really separating themselves right now. But you never know with the NFL playoffs. Who knows? Like I said, Jaguars are hot, and a hot team is something you do not want to come up against in uh, in the playoffs, in the NFL playoffs, because uh, that can lead to losses, obviously. So that's the AFC. To me, it's the Bengals right now. I think right now have looked like the best team in the last few weeks. The Bills, though, still loaded. The Chiefs still loaded. They could just flick it on, flip it on, flip it on like a switch, and they could be, you know, the 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 running favorites in the AFC playoffs. Wouldn't doubt that either. I mean, all all three of those teams, I wouldn't be surprised to see them back uh, at a, in a Super Bowl uh, in Arizona come February. So we'll see what happens in the AFC. The NFC, a little bit of a different story, in my opinion. Right now, Eagles, obviously, Probably the best team in the NFC. The Jalen Hurts injury gets me a little bit concerned. We'll see how healthy he is towards the end of the year and these last few weeks. If he plays week 17, if he doesn't play week 17, if he plays week 18 and then straight into the playoffs, then a little bit nervous and especially just coming straight back in during the playoffs. That makes me a little bit nervous, but obviously we were talking about Nick Foles before. They've done this before, so it seems like they kind of know what they're doing. Um, But if it's not the Eagles, I think the 49ers have... Uh, been the best team towards the end of the season. That Christian McCaffrey pickup was huge for them. They're spreading the ball around like crazy. Their defense is coming on fire. They have one of the best pass rushing units uh, in the game right now, obviously. On defense, Joey Bosa, not Joey, but Nick Bosa. I always get them confused. Nick Bosa probably looks like he might be defensive player of the year for the 49ers. Uh, And Brock Purdy has come in in the midst of Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt, and he's looked like a guy that they should probably ride going into the playoffs, in my opinion. I think I'd, I I don't, I'd be curious to see a 49ers fan, uh, a 49ers fan's opinion on this. Do you want Brock Purdy more in the playoffs than Jimmy G? I'd be curious to see a 49ers fan what they think of that, because I don't really know how they feel on that situation. Do they want Jimmy G back or do they want to ride Brock Purdy into the playoffs? Be curious to see, but regardless 49ers, even if Brock Purdy doesn't play well, they have the defense to kind of stick with, you know, in in any game that they play against any of their NFC opponents. In my opinion, I think they can stick with any of those teams that they're playing against. And um, I think they've really caught fire towards the end of the season. And I think they're probably the team that I would expect most to come out of the NFC right now, unless Jalen hurts comes back and he's fully healthy and there's nothing wrong. You know, they're just kind of holding him out just for, you know, uh, to be, to be safe, if you will, something like that. If that's the case, Lane Johnson injury for the Eagles as well. That's also a concern. 
huge loss for them on the offensive line. If he stays down for a, an extended period of time, that's a big, big, big loss on that offensive line. If he's, if he's gone for an extended period of time, but if they can figure out Jalen hurts, if they can figure out that, you know, Lane Johnson's injury as well. And he comes back for the playoffs. Then it's probably the Eagles. They're probably the best team, but they have had issues stopping the run and 49ers, Kyle Shanahan. That's what they're the absolute best at. Uh, so that's a tough matchup for the Eagles, in my opinion, uh, if it comes to that in the playoffs as well. So we'll see. But right now, as it stands right now, going into week 17, I think the 49ers are probably probably the team I trust the most right now out of the NFC just because of the Eagles injuries. Vikings, I mean, I look, they're my team. 12 and 3, I never thought I'd see, to be honest with you. Wow, that's a good that's a good way to say that. 12 and 3, I never thought I'd see. There you go. Little, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, I can't really trust them, to be honest with you. 11 and 0 in one score games is, I mean, it's very impressive, but it's also very lucky. Uh, they found a way to win a game against the Bills as well. Then um, a lot of these one score games, they've figured out a way to win. So that's not a great uh, a great way to approach a playoff playoff football, if you will, that can you, you can get beat pretty easily that way. Obviously, Cowboys, they look they look good. They just beat the Eagles, obviously, but Dak has struggled a little bit, turning the ball over a little bit here and there as well. So, I mean, I, the Cowboys, it wouldn't surprise me either, but I still think there's a step up between the Niners and the Eagles between those two teams. Still thinking, and then there the the the. Um, the wildcard teams, in my opinion, are a, a lot less strong uh, in the NFC. Giants, Commanders, Buccaneers, they'd win the NFC South. So the Giants can com- and Commanders will be your, your wildcard teams. Uh, I don't see either of those teams beating either of the top two teams, in my opinion. The Giants could do it against the Vikings, obviously. I mean, they nearly just did. But I just, I don't know. I, feel, I have more confidence right now. I can't believe I'm saying this. In the Jacksonville Jaguars going into... Um, into land or not into Lambo, excuse me, into um, into Arrowhead and beating the Chiefs. Then I do the Giants going in, and I, I would I was about to say the Vikings, but I don't know. I I mean that's 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 a that's a stretch. That is a stretch. What I was about to say there. So I I, I don't know. It's it's all kind of a mess. The Vikings are definitely the the weakest of those top seeds, but you know we'll see. And that's football. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm excited for the playoffs to start. Obviously, uh, it's, it's the best time. A football season and it's the best time to watch football it's it's playoffs it's right around the corner and i think is this our this is the first time with the two wild card format i if i remember correctly as well so that will be interesting to see and uh i'm excited for it we'll see what happens we'll see who clinches playoffs this year uh this upcoming week and who doesn't we'll see what happens and washington please i'm begging you please get over eight wins i'm begging you okay let's move on really quick we're going to move on to nba we talked a little bit i talked about it a little bit nba christmas day that is the unofficial starting point for me for the NBA season. Uh, I'm curious to know if that's how it is for everybody else as well. Uh, but Christmas Day for me, it's always been associated with watching basketball, not necessarily anything else. It's always been basketball. There's always been good marquee matchups on Christmas Day. And that's how it was this week as well, or this uh, this Christmas Day as well. The first one wasn't, you know, it was okay. I think it was uh, Sixers versus Knicks, if I remember correctly. Knicks, look, everybody, everything that's needed to be said about the Knicks has been said. Okay, they're a team living off of their past uh, successes, and I'm when I say past, I mean past successes. Uh, the the Garden maybe a little bit overrated, to be honest with you, in terms of uh, a venue. It's it's uh, it's, it's kind of coasting, much like the Knicks. The Garden, the, the Madison Square Garden, in my opinion, is a good recollection into or reflection into what the franchise of the New York Knicks really is right. 
the aura around the garden. You could say it's the Mecca, that sort of thing. But there are plenty of other places that are a lot more uh, fun and interesting and more compatible for the modern human being to go watch basketball, in my opinion. Uh, the garden doesn't look great, uh, in my opinion. It's cool downtown New York City. That I mean, that's a really cool it's a really cool looking stadium on like literally planted right in the middle of New York City, uh, New York City. I think that part's very cool. Uh, but I mean, there are better venues to watch a game of basketball, obviously. And it's kind of uh, kind of rested on its laurels, if you will, uh, being the Mecca, quote unquote, of basketball. So, you know, the Garden, the Knicks, they're all kind of wrapped up into one thing. And that's kind of what the Knicks have been a lot like the Garden, maybe Resting on their laurels a little too, a little bit too much, and uh, I think the Knicks have lost a lot of their bite as a franchise that a lot of people think that they have. I mean, the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, a team that kind of that, that came out of nowhere recently, used to be the New Jersey Nets until what is it, fifteen years ago now or something like that, and now that's probably the more ideal team to go and play for rather than the New York Knicks in New York. Did anybody see that coming? I don't think so, but here we are. This is where we are now. Now I don't think anybody wants uh, there's a, a smaller amount of people that want to go watch or excuse me want to go play for the new york knicks at the garden than i think there are that want to go play for the brooklyn nets uh at the at the barclays center that's just my opinion i could be completely wrong about that but uh, you know the knicks in my opinion it seems like they rub a lot of players the wrong way and how they do things their ownership their management that whole spiel uh and yeah it, it just feels like the nets and i can't believe i'm saying this either given the the beginning of the season for the Nets um, feels like a more stable situation than uh, than the Knicks. But regardless, here we are. Uh, that was the first game, 76ers versus the Knicks. Sixers won that game. Uh, then we had the Lakers versus the Mavericks. Mavericks are always fun to watch because they got Luka Doncic, and he is unreal to watch. He's an unbelievable player, super fun to watch. Uh, Mavericks won that one, 124 to 115. Celtics and the Bucks. This was probably the best game of the day, in my opinion. Uh, one seed versus the two seed in the East. Celtics are the one seed. The Bucks were the two seed, and the Celtics ran away with it towards uh, the end of the game in the third quarter, especially one thirty nine to one eighteen was the final score in on that one. Jason Tatum balling out. Uh, looks like he's probably. I mean, as it stands right now, probably the MVP of the league on the best team with the best player in Jason Tatum. They're the best team in the league, the best team in the East right now, anyways, for sure. Uh, then we had the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Warriors, not as good this year so far. They've Steph's been out uh, with injury, obviously, uh, but you know, 16 and 18 at home, they're just not nearly as good as they were last year. Grizzlies, still that young gun, that young gun team, if you will. I think they're second in the East right now. Uh, not the East, excuse me, in the West, second or third in the West, if I remember correctly. They lost against the Warriors, though, 123 to 109. And then it was the Nuggets versus the Suns. Probably the best game of the day in terms of actual action. Uh, the Nuggets won that one in overtime, 128 to 125. And we got like the dunk of the year from Aaron Gordon in that one. A, a true poster over uh, Landry Shamit to uh, more or less seal. I guess it was more or less seal that game for the Nuggets in overtime. It was a really good game. Uh, so here are my things that I learned from Christmas Day games. Okay, here, here are the things that I learned. Number one. Number one here on the old list of things that I learned on Christmas Day for Christmas Day basketball for the NBA. As we get closer, we kind of get into the groove of uh, NBA basketball. Here is what I have learned so far. The Celtics, they look like the best team in the league right now. They got the best player in uh, Jason Tatum. I kind of said that already, but that's the first thing that I wrote down. So, yes, that's number one. Uh, Celtics, they look unbelievable. Top 10. In offensive rating, their first in offensive rating, 117.2. 
Defensive rating as well. They're seventh, 110.7 and a net rating. Best net rating in the league at plus 6.5. They're still a little bit slower in pace, but you know I don't know how much that necessarily matters in the grand scheme of things at a 100.2 pace. Uh, they've been the best team in the league so far this year, uh, all the way into Christmas Day, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them coming out of the East. Other things that I've learned, the Nuggets, best team in the West right now, just by record and by, I think, top-to-bottom team. Not the best defensively, but they're the second best team in the league offensively behind the Celtics. 116.2 offensive rating on uh, a defensive rating of 114.0. That's 24th in the league. So not as good, uh, nearly as good defensively as the Celtics, but probably the best team top to bottom out of the West, I would say. Their net rating of plus 2.2 is ninth in the league as well. The East, uh, speaking of the East, well, the East really quickly, it's going to be a battle. Come playoff time, they're the best. They're the better conference, uh, top to bottom, than the better conference in the West. Uh, the Celtics, the Bucks, the Nets, the seven, the Nets. Which at the beginning of the season, we were talking about how much of a mess that franchise has become, how much of a mess that entire situation was with Kyrie, with uh, with Kevin Durant as well. Uh, I'm not necessarily Kevin Durant, but more focused on Kyrie. The entire situation with uh, a lot of the, the the ruckus that it was causing between Kevin Durant and the general management group. Uh, um, uh, Kevin Durant was asking for a trade at the beginning of the season to move on from this team, uh, according to reports anyways. Uh, but here they are. They've won nine in a row. They're 9-1 in their last 10, and now they're two games back of first place, 22-12 and 12 on the season so far. So they could win it in the East. Uh, the 76ers have looked good. They've slowed up. Uh, they, they caught fired a little bit after a little bit of a slow start. They've won eight in a row as well. Eight and two in their last 10. So they're 20 and 12, uh, three games back of first place in the East. And even the Cavs, the Cavaliers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that I think a lot of people said this is, I mean, I, I mean, they kind of went for it with the Donovan Mitchell trade, but I, I think a lot of people still thought that the Donovan Mitchell trade wasn't necessarily enough to put them into the middle grouping of the Eastern Conference. And maybe they won't towards the end of the year, but right now they looked very they look very good. Uh they have a a, 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 a top 15 offensive rating 113.2 that's 12th in the league. Their defense has been spectacular. 107.2 defensive rating. That's first in the NBA and their net rating of plus 6.0 is second in the league behind the Boston Celtics. Donovan Mitchell has played like an absolute stud. Uh, he averaged 31.8 points on an effective field goal percentage of 65.3% uh, this past week when they won five straight games to climb within a first play, uh, within a one game of first place this past week. Uh, I think they dropped a couple after that, so they dropped down to uh, two and a half games out of first place as of today. So, who knows what the Cavs can do? They have the, right now, as it stands, the best defensive rating in the the entire NBA. So, I mean, that can keep you in a lot of games. Obviously they got a plus uh, 5.6 point differential, which is the second best in the Eastern conference behind the Boston Celtics as well. So who knows where we see, where we'll see the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, but they've been a, a gleeful surprise. They're the four seed right now in the West or excuse me, in the East, uh, but they've been uh, a good surprise. I think out of the East right now, uh, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies out of the Western Conference, they're the two teams that I can I can see as the two top teams of the future uh, out of the Western Conference. Pelicans, they got Zion Williamson, obviously. They've got a decent core in Brandon Ingram down there as well. Uh, CJ McCollum, he probably won't be there, obviously, in the next 10 years, but he could be that veteran guy that ushers in the next uh, the next uh, grouping, of, uh, grouping of guys for the Pelicans. And uh, that team is all of a sudden, starting to look like a decent team that's not going to be good to be trifled with. One of the only teams 
with two top 10 ratings in terms of offensive rating and defensive rating. They have a 114.9 offensive rating that's sixth in the NBA and a defensive rating of 109.9, also sixth in the NBA. Their net rating rating of plus 4.9 is third in the NBA. So maybe uh, coming to the forefront, maybe a little bit earlier than a lot of people would imagine. Uh, Zion Williamson is going to be a star in this league for a very long time. If he can stay healthy, uh, if he can, if he can play as well as he has been, obviously he's going to be one of the best players in the league, but we'll see what happens there. And they have a decent core that they can build around them uh, with uh, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, obviously, and uh, a bunch of other guys as well. So we'll see what happens with the Pelicans and then the Grizzlies. I mean, they feels like they, they jumped a little bit far ahead of the, uh, ahead of the threshold last year when they made it to the conference finals against the Grizzlies or excuse me, against the Warriors last year, they were probably way ahead of schedule and they still have a lot of that core that was there last year. They are going to be very good for a long time if they can stay healthy. If John Moran can stay healthy, he's going to be a star in this league as well. Uh, they have a 113.4 offensive rating, 11th in the NBA, uh, a 109.2 defensive rating, which is 4th in the NBA, and their net rating of 4.2, which is 5th in the NBA. So they can make it out of the West as much as the Pelicans can make it out of the West, as much as the Nuggets can make it out of the West. Give the Nuggets a little bit of an edge. They have a little bit more uh, experience, experience in my mind. They've got the best player in the Western Conference, and Nikola Jokic. If you're not watching NBA basketball, if you're if you're not watching any NBA basketball right now, I'm going to tell you as a localized as a local fan, if you're living in Sheridan, Wyoming, watch your Denver Nuggets. Okay, Nikola Jokic is an absolute dude. Uh, Jamal Murray is back and he's balling like a maniac. That was sick. Uh, Aaron Gordon just dunked on some dunked all over Larry Shamit to win a game against uh, in uh, against the uh, against the. Phoenix Suns uh, in overtime. That was a ton of fun to watch. And uh, they could very easily, uh, right now, it looks like they are the best team in the Western Conference at 21-11. They are the best team in the Western Conference. But it is a logjam in the Western Conference right now in terms of standings. Uh, six games, six games, that's it, ladies and gentlemen, six games separates the 11-seeded Minnesota Timberwolves from the one-seeded Denver Nuggets. And even less so, four games separates the nine-seeded Utah Jazz from the one-seeded Denver Nuggets. It is a unprecedented logjam in the Western Conference. Even even the Houston Rockets, who have won 10 games this season, are only 11 and a half games out of first place. So, I mean, that's not... I, they're not going to they're not gonna take first place. No, like, no way. But it's not a huge gap like we're used to seeing. Like, in the East right now, the Detroit Pistons, who are in last place, they have eight wins on the season. They're 17 games back of the Boston Celtics, who are in first. So, the logjam is real. Uh, there's a lot of teams in the middle in the Western Conference that are going to be moving around a lot. And even the Kings, I mean, the Kings are six seed. Uh, they're 17 and 14. They're actually not terrible. They have a pretty decent uh, offensive, uh, especially on offense, uh, offensive team. They're averaging 118.1 points per game, which is, uh, that's I believe that's the highest in the league. Only, I think there might be behind, yeah, they're behind the Boston Celtics uh, and the, uh, no, just the Boston Celtics. They're second in the league in terms of uh, points per game this season. The Sacramento Kings, ladies and gentlemen, yes. Sacramento Kings, Chris Webber, Sacramento Kings, that team, but not with Chris Webber anymore, obviously, but the Sacramento Kings, yes, they're actually good, they're like a fun team to watch, can you believe it, we're living in a weird paradigm world here, this is the this is the world that we're living in, uh, but yeah, if you're an NBA fan, a local Sheridan fan, watch your Denver Nuggets, they're actually solid, Nikola Jokic is one of the funnest players to watch, Maybe ever, uh, because he can do literally anything. I mean, he can pass with uh, an incredible smoothness. Uh, he looks, 
just in terms of like a guy from the NBA, you look at a guy like LeBron James, who is built like a machine, like a guy that's never going to stop playing basketball. And then you see like Nikola Jokic, a little bit heftier. The guy's a little bit bigger than that. It makes sense. His arms are always bleeding or something. And that he's just a different vibe that you get from uh, LeBron James. And it's just, yeah, he just does a lot of fun things to watch. He passes the ball like crazy. Feels like he can make any shot from the elbow that he wants. Um, he's incredible. He'll, he'll average a, he'll, he'll, he won't average a triple double, but feels like every single night he can be up there for a possible triple double with a 40 piece as well. He's the best. He's one of the best players in the NBA right now. And he's a ton of fun to watch. So if you're a Nuggets fan, haven't tuned into very much NBA games, tune in your team's in first place. Yeah, that's right. Your team is in first place in the Western conference. And, uh, they've got one of the funnest teams in the league right now, uh, heading into, the I guess it's not really halfway a quarter of the way through the season I guess I don't 21 11 that's about 33 games so about a third of the way through the season I guess if is what we could call it so tune into the NBA ladies and gentlemen it's uh we're a third of the way through the season it was Christmas day that's the unofficial start point for the NBA and you can start paying attention now so that's gonna wrap up the show I think ladies and gentlemen I want to thank you very much for tuning in thank you for listening to my rant on bowl games for about half an hour that was fun creating a whole new bowl season that would be fun to watch Plus my whole Nick Foles spiel that I went on as well. That was fun. Um, and I'm glad we did it. I'm glad I'm, I'm on time as well today. It's a Tuesday, not a Wednesday. And we're here and uh, it's a good day. We're going we're gonna to talk more sports next week as well. So, but for now, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. I have been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. <laughs>